Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Pilato. Today, we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to be joined a little bit later on in the show by Ann Bradbury, who is the president of the American Exploration and Production Council. Let me tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Our feature is Nick Dulles, who is the president of CNX Resources. We recently had an opportunity to interview him on our radio show. Very interesting company to consider that we have not had a new built refinery in the United States uh, for quite some time. So very interesting story. I encourage you to learn more about Nick and his company, CNX Resources. Go to shellmag.com and click on the magazine cover to read all about him and many, many, many more articles on oil, gas, and business. I'd also like to encourage you, if you want to stay up with the latest issue of Shell Magazine and or the latest show of In the Oil Patch Radio Show, please visit us on our social media pages, like our page, and you'll stay up to date on all of the latest issues as well as all of the latest shows. And now it's time for me to welcome on the editor of Shell Magazine and my co-host, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. It is. It's getting hot, though. Summer is here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thank goodness we rely on a good old abundance of natural gas to keep the air conditioners going and and um, continue to make sure that we are nice and comfortable, even though it's super, super hot outside. Speaking of uh, natural gas, I want to talk a little bit about oil and natural gas prices with you. Both of these, uh, the oil and natural gas, have been on the rise this week. So explain to me what's happening with energy prices. I'm also hearing and understanding that we also have a huge shortage on diesel as well. All the trucks are moving now. So oh, yeah. What, yeah. what can we expect? What's happening? Yeah, well, so, so we have a shortage of everything, basically. And uh, yeah, the diesel inventories are way down this week in the United States and in Europe. And it's because we don't have enough of it being refined globally. Um, and, and oil inventories dropped again this week, and that, uh, you know, led to a lot of the price spike. Uh, there, you know, it's also continuing to go up because everyone is anticipating the EU will put a ban on Russian oil imports soon, and uh, that will take uh, another million or two barrels of oil off the global market. So, I mean, there's just this constant upward price pressure on oil prices. Natural gas prices are going up. Uh, also because energy or natural gas storage levels are, are down compared to historic levels. And we're in the part of the year where they're supposed to be going back up. So uh, we're, we're at risk of a real natural gas supply shortage if we have a cold winter this year. And we're up over $9 in MMBTU on natural gas uh, in the U.S., which is the first time we've reached that level since 2008 before the Great Recession hit in 2008. And, um, you know, that's way too high. And, and it's really, you know, as we talk about seemingly every week, it, it's the, the poorest among us, the hardest. And it's, um, it's, it's really very unfortunate situation. 
Correct. Well, hopefully they, they start realizing that elections have consequences and maybe they ought to change and look at who they're voting for in the parties and figure out which one is really increasing these prices. But again, it's on the way to energy transition, Biden <laughs> basically yeah. told us. Um, right. Let me also ask a question about the Ukraine Russian conflict. Um, Daniel Jurgen, who's been on our show before, um, released uh, an article to the Wall Street Journal or did an interview in which he said that this is going to completely change Russia's stance um, on how they're producing energy on the market globally permanently. Yeah. So yeah. is this also going to impact those energy prices in the future that we're going to continue? Because that's 10% of the oil reserves that are going to come off potentially. How does that look? Well, it, it's, yeah, it's a, and of course, Dan is, is really, uh, in my view anyway, the preeminent uh, analyst of, of, of the oil situation in the world. So I take very seriously anything he says. And, you know, I, uh, obviously he's right. It's, it's, it's going to not only cause Russia to recalibrate what it does with its oil exports, it's going to really cause a, a reshuffling of, of oil supply chains all over the world and relationships among countries uh, like Saudi Arabia becoming, you know, going, moving more into the Chinese uh, sphere of influence. And, and uh, you know, that's a, a lot of that's caused by the neglect of the Biden administration to that relationship. Um, and so it's, it's yes, we have a, a just complete recalibration of, of all supply chains and relationships all over the world. And, um, it's going to be a time of great upheaval and energy crisis for years to come, I think. And, and we should uh, be ready to, um, to figure out how to afford higher gasoline prices and utility bills as a result of all of this. Yep, buckle up, it's not gonna get any better. Let's talk about Bloomberg. They did another hit piece on the shell industry this week, criticizing the domestic industry for holding back production as the world clamors for more oil and gas. And I, while this is totally unfair, you know, what they should have said is the Biden administration is completely obstructing the, yeah. pro the production of oil and gas by the Keystone pipeline being canceled, uh, all of these permits not being issued. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Talk to me about how come yeah. this is so unfair. Well, it is unfair. I mean, you know, there, there are all these uh, barriers to production that the not just the Biden administration, but all these ESG investor groups like BlackRock have been throwing in, into the industry's past, path for years now. And it's all coming home to roost here this year. Um, yes, shale producers are not uh, going willy-nilly into more drilling as they have during high price uh, times of the past, but there's a lot of reasons for that. It's not just all voluntary. Um, and and at the same time, as Ann Bradbury told us this week, uh, you know, we're gonna produce domestic production in this country by a million barrels a day this year. So it's not like they're not drilling wells, they're drilling a lot of wells and they're getting more production out of every one they drill. And uh, a million barrel a day increase in one calendar year is a big increase historically. And so I, you know, I just think it's completely unfair and wrongheaded. And it's really sad that Bloomberg would publish an article like that. I wonder who the bonehead was who wrote that article. But, you know, it kind of also goes back to the fact that 
not only are these operators dealing with an enormous amount of just financial stress, now you have the SEC coming in and starting to regulate on that as well. Mm -hmm. It's just a higher cost to do this production in a very unstable market with a very unstable um, government that is not supporting them doing this, but yet publicly telling everyone we're going to provide more natural resources, natural gas, excuse me, to Europe. It's just yeah. insane. Let me um, ask you about uh, Secre uh, Secretary of Energy uh, Granholm, who she told reporters this week that the Biden administration is considering a freeze on oil exports as a way to address <laughs> higher gas prices. What is she talking about? <laughs> what? What? This is a scary thing that she's the Secretary of Energy. It, it, it so really is. First. Let's tell our listeners how crazy that is. Well, it's insane. It, it's not just it's not just dumb. It's it's literal energy suicide. If you halt oil exports uh, in this country, we would immediately see thousands of shale oil wells shut in because we we lack the capacity to refine all of this light sweet crude coming out of our shale plays, the Permian Basin, the Eagle Ford, all these shale plays. Uh, domestically, uh, our oil refineries by and large are set up to refine heavy grades of crude oil coming in from other countries like Brazil and Canada and Mexico. And, and so all of this light sweet production coming out of the shale basins, it either has to be exported to be refined or it can't be produced. There, there just is no other alternative here. And, and so if you say you can't export it, then it's all gonna be shut in and another 2 million barrels a day are gonna come off of the global market. And, and the price of all would go to $200 a barrel in a week, okay? It's the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, what Biden said on Monday, it's all just par for the course of this is the way that they're going to force solar, wind, and other uh, unreliables, or I'm sorry, renewables on the market on us, no matter what the price is going to be that we have to pay. Is that pretty yeah. much correct? And so- Well, yeah, I mean, that certainly is what it seems like. Let's hope that November we have serious change uh, in D.C. to where we can stop this train that seems to be completely running off the tracks. Um, and I don't even know if there's, I mean, I think you had wrote an article. That it doesn't even appear as though this administration is serious about the policies that they're focusing yeah. on. They, these this, are not serious people. But we're all going along for the ride, which is just crazy. That is all the time we have for, for this segment. When we return, we're going to be joined by Ann Bradbury, who is the president of the American Exploration and Production Council. You're listening to a new old patch radio show, and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 
361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Now, David, it is time for us to welcome on our guest, Ann Bradbury, CEO of AXPC, which is American Exploration and Production Council. Welcome to Andy Wallpatch Radio Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, we're really excited to have you on the show, Ann, because this is the first time that you are joining us. And we're really excited to understand what does your council do? Uh, you guys are a, a council that basically works with legislators. Tell us, though, before we get started on asking you some questions about what you guys are working on with some of the elected officials, a little bit about AXPC, the American Exploration and Production Council. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so AXPC is a national trade association based in Washington, D.C. that represents America's independent oil and gas producers. And we represent the medium and large size onshore oil and gas producers. So we have some of the biggest uh, onshore uh, uh, E&P companies in the Permian, in the Bakken, in Appalachia, in the Marcellus. And our focus is really domestic onshore production. And what we do is we work with policymakers in DC, both legislative and regulatory, on issues that impact the upstream industry. And to really talk about the benefits of made in America energy. Um, because uh, you know, for you know, the, the shale revolution has really transformed uh, our, our energy landscape, the geopolitical landscape even. And we want folks to understand how policies are going to impact uh, our ability to continue to produce energy here in America. Well, be, saying that, you couldn't probably be more important to help explain because it, it definitely seems like, uh, David and I talk about this a lot, that um, rather it is uh, D.C., some of the uh, appointed executives that uh, the Biden administration has appointed in the energy sector or interior, uh, they definitely need a lot of assistance in how do we uh, fix what is going on with the energy shortage. Um, and so before we get started um, in jumping into a lot of questions that David and I have, let me start with asking you about the Biden administration. Because they recently announced that it was going to resume oil and gas leasing in June, but with about an 80% reduction in acreage available, and that's about 50% higher lease rate. We hear a lot that we're supposed to provide a lot of uh, either natural gas or oil, uh, but yet every time that the Biden administration says they're going to loosen up on something, it almost seems as though inadvertently they tighten up something. So how does that work when they're going to um, reduce reduction of acreage? 
Yeah, it's a great question, Kim. And it's, you know, one of these really frustrating examples of policies not matching reality and not and not frankly matching the rhetoric. And, you know, if you go back to the to the campaign, one of Biden's platform issues was to stop leasing altogether on federal lands. Now, um, you know, fortunately, they do not have the legal authority to unilaterally do that without Congress uh, stepping in to authorize stopping federal leasing. They are required to hold federal lease sales. Uh, but when they came in, they put a pause on federal leasing. Um, and, uh, and, and that pause is being litigated, which we can talk about. Uh, but due to the litigation, they did finally announce that um, they will uh, hold their first onshore uh, lease sale next month, but with an 80% reduction in acres available and a 50% higher leasing rate. Um, so as you can tell, you know, in a, in a moment in the world where, you know, countries all over the world our global allies are asking for more American-made energy, uh, the Biden administration is taking steps that are actually going to restrict the amount of land available um, for production, uh, and when they should be doing just the opposite and doing everything they can to support more American energy production. And you, you, you talked about this sale that's scheduled next month. Um, given the fact that they canceled three other lease sales this past week, um, I wonder, do, do, do your members have confidence that that lease sale won't also be canceled? You know, th that's a really good point. Um, and again, it gets at the at these very mixed signals that we're getting from the administration in terms of what its intention is regarding federal lands. I mean, their rhetoric says something very different from the policies that we are seeing. Um, and again, at a time when the world is begging for more American-made energy, the fact yeah. that the, the DOI is reversing even some of the lease sales that they've already put out is 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 very concerning. Um, and frankly, you know, Senator Joe Manchin on the Democrat side has been one of the most vocal and eloquent opponents of what DOI um, is doing. So this isn't just a Republican issue, right. um, you know, but, you know, Senator Joe Manchin, you know, certainly uh, has been raising alarm bells as well. And before we go to break, I want to back up just a little bit and talk about um, your the American Exploration and Production Council. Tell me just quickly, or maybe we should talk about what is the mission of what you guys are doing in the sense of who are some of your members, your operators? I mean, I know that you guys are focusing on exploration and production onshore, but how long has the, the association been around in its core mission, if you can give us that information? So AXPC has been around in a couple different iterations for several decades, um, actually. Um, I have been in place for about two and a half years now um, and have been able uh, for the first time to, to really bring on a team and to really kind of amplify our efforts here in Washington. And you know, there's uh, a number of different really great energy focused trades um, in Washington. Uh, so we really try to make sure that we are laser focused on issues that really matter to domestic upstream producers. And you know, those issues are around responsible production of oil and gas, um, global market access to make sure that you know, we don't just have a domestic access for our product, but we're able to export oil and gas uh, all over the world as well. Um, and then leading on some of the issues related to environmental stewardship and climate solutions, uh, because we believe that we 
have an important role to play um, as some of the most responsible global producers of oil and natural gas in you know, a lower carbon future, whatever you think that might look like. Um, and then capital and finance, both uh, almost all of our companies uh, or the vast majority of our companies are public companies. Um, and you're seeing a, some additional scrutiny on public companies um, and private companies as well, frankly, uh, from the financial sector. And so, uh, you know, right now, one of our one of our priority issues is responding to the SEC rulemaking on uh, climate disclosure regulations right. and the impact that that's going to have um, on companies like ours. So, and when we come back from break, I want to talk a little bit about who are your members. We have to take a quick break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hey you, do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. And we're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Ann Bradbury, CEO of AXPC, which stands for American Exploration and Production Council. And before the break, we were talking about the mission of the organization and why it's important for onshore North American producers and the power of American energy being produced here in the United States. But I want to also, can you tell us a little bit about like who are your members? And because it seems like we have a tier kind of, there are the large, large super majors, the Exxon Mobiles, BP, Chevrons, and then there are these really large independents as well. What are some of the differences between the large, large ones and your membership base? I know that everybody is trying to talk to elected officials and thank goodness for that because they need a lot of talking to it to understand what's happening in, in energy and policy. But your members are kind of focusing in, in what area besides just being onshore? How large are they and who are some of the members? Yeah, so our members, again, are, are really just focused on the production sector. Um, so some of our members uh, that y'all might be familiar with include, you know, Pioneer, EOG, Devon, Marathon, um, you know, so, some of those big Texas producers, and then some of the big Appalachia producers as well, um, you know, which some of some of your listeners might be less familiar with, but, you know, the EQTs, the Ascents, the Enteros, um, and then the Coteras that kind of span both uh, uh, Appalachia as well as, as uh, you know, Oil Patch. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, the reason that we exist is because there are a number of policies that would impact a company that is more focused on production only, as opposed to having a really integrated supply chain. Um, uh, so if you look at something like a carbon tax, for example, that's going to impact 
um, someone that just produces oil and gas a little differently than someone that's involved in refining as well as production and have, you know, downstream as well. Um, and so we really want to make sure that people understand uh, how, you know, policies would affect the upstream sector. And, you know, when I talk to, you know, folks in Washington, sometimes I say, you know, we're like the hundred billion dollar companies that you may have never heard of. Um, because, you know, we're not household names the way, you know, an ExxonMobil or a BP or a Shell are, um, you know, but in terms of the impact that we have on the American economy and American jobs, um, you know, we're, we're certainly up there. And so uh, we want to make sure that, that, that policymakers really understand, again, it, it we, a lot of times we start with, you know, a brief history lesson of, you know, let's talk about the shale revolution and what it has done over the last 10 or 15 years for um, our energy, you know, but not just our energy sector, but, you know, for, for, Nash, for our own national security, for global security, for energy costs, which have stayed incredibly low um, over the last 15 years relative to other commodities and goods and services, um, and frankly, even relative to what, you know, global energy costs look like. Uh, and so we really want people to understand why our sector is important and uh, how policies will impact us. You know, talk about energy costs staying staying low compared to other commodities. It's absolutely right. Of course, we we've had these increases uh, recently in the in the price of gasoline, diesel. Oil prices have have gone up, obviously, and natural gas is now as well. Uh, but when you differentiate, you talk about the various uh, segments of the industry. I think people tend to have this misperception that. Most of these wells are being drilled by the super majors, by, you know, ExxonMobil is very active, ConocoPhillips, uh, BP Shell. But in reality, most of the wells in these shale basins, and I think it's especially true in the Northeast, are being drilled by these mid to, to large size independent producers, correct? That is correct. There's actually a recent study uh, well, it's a it's a few years old, but you know I'm sure it's pretty pretty close still. That you know about 80% of production in this country comes from the independents. Now that includes like the very small independents, the very large independents, uh, but it is the lion's share of production in this country. What you're saying is really important for the listeners to understand because David, you mentioned it's not the ExxonMobil and BPs. It's actually mostly producers that are here focusing in the United States, mostly in Texas. And so when we come back from break, I want to get back on the discussion of um, the the type of companies that are doing the exploration onshore and also a little bit about uh, the presidency and a lot of the policies for coming down. But, but we have to take a quick break. You're listening to a Noel Pat Radio Show and we'll be right back. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188.
We're back. You're listening to In the Wolf Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Anne Bradbury, the CEO of American Exploration and Production Council. And before the break, um, we were talking about some of your members and the type of members that you all advocate for, and especially helping policymakers understand a little bit more about how the oil and gas in nature is produced. It's a very important thing because these days, it kind of seems a little strange. The administration will announce something that they want to provide LNG for Europe, but then they're stopping pipelines. Um, they're not issuing permits. And so my question would be, your members are the considered to be the smaller, not the larger integrated uh, oil and gas companies. And yet they're responsible, like you said earlier, for 80% of the production here in the United States and globally. So let, let's go back to that. And, and I want to talk about uh, now we've seen 16 months into this presidency, and yet they have yet executed any single federal lease. I guess my question is, your members must be extremely frustrated with what is happening in D.C. And I know you have, you're there. You work closely with the elected officials and policymakers. Much of your discussion with them on a daily basis is informing them and educating them versus on how to uh, consider policies versus really getting uh, where you think that they understand what's happening and why we have such problems in the supply chain and, and exploration. Because it's not as easy as they say, flip a switch. It takes a long time to ramp up. So what are you doing to help this administration understand what's happening with energy and its policies? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, is really challenging right now with this administration is that you know they, you know, when when they were going through uh, the transition process and the hiring process, is if if candidates um, who wanted to work in the Biden administration, if they had any history with the oil and gas industry, you know, many of them were blackballed from joining the administration, and so because of that, you really have um, uh, a um, a lack of knowledge is as to how the industry works. Um, so for a lot of the conversations, um, you know, you really have to um, start with the basics. Um, and uh, uh, so there's a lot of education that 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 goes into these conversations. Um, but I will say, you know, this moment in time presents us an opportunity uh, for the first time when, you know, energy security and energy costs and concerns around those issues are for the first time in really a very long time, um, kind of taking precedence over the issue of climate for many people. And so this presents us an opportunity to really lean in on these issues that we've been talking about um, and the policies that are needed um, to address the issues around energy security and, um, and energy costs. Now, not everyone wants to listen and not everyone is willing to take the steps that are needed uh, to, to address those issues, but it at least gives us an opportunity to have the conversations that I think were even harder to even you know, get a foot in the door a year ago. Well, Ann, uh, you know, that that raises a very interesting point. You know, Vicki Holub, uh, the CEO of Oxy in February at a conference said that her company has no relationships with anyone in this administration. And a couple of other CEOs on the same panel discussion uh, chimed in that their company was in the same position. 
when you're when you're trying to how can you educate help to educate folks in this administration uh, when they won't even talk to some of the biggest producers in the industry and I know that's that's a big part of your job too is trying to get in and and have meetings with these folks and try to help them understand what's happening in the business how how counterproductive is that to you know actually having a, a smart and and targeted energy policy in this country? It is a very real challenge, um, again, even to, to have these conversations. I will say we work really hard to build and maintain relationships with Democrats on the Hill, yeah. um, with Biden administration officials. Um, and, you know, there are, uh, you know, we have mixed success. Um, you know, I say, you know, we have um, some really great ongoing discussions with the EPA right now in terms of their methane regulation. Um, and, you know, we've had some productive conversations with DOI around, um, you know, the, the federal leasing issues. Um, at this, at the end of the day, a lot of these policies are set by the White House, um, yeah. and uh, and you know they you know don't have the same level of um, you know they they bring a different calculation to their decision making um, than I think you know some of the career officials may, um, and so that's a challenge. So we have to continue to just work all of the different angles that we can. So we, you know, talk to, to you know, sometimes the career professionals, um, you know, are, are, you know, can have really constructive conversations. Yeah. Sometimes you can find, you know, the political officials that, you know, really understand the geopolitical impact of energy. And, you know, that, you know, that that's their driving issue. And then sometimes, you know, the, you know, there are Democrats on the Hill that um, are a persuasive voice with this administration. And so we really just try to, um, have all the conversations that we can to try to work these various angles um, because it is a challenge and uh, you know we we hope uh, and wish that there was more outreach and more constructive dialogue going on with this administration and we try to just make sure that we present ourselves as uh, ready and willing to have those constructive conversations whenever they are. Well, you know, and you bring up a good point going back from Sarah week and even in December, November of last year, when the World Petroleum Congress came to Houston, um, a lot of the elected officials, as David alluded to earlier, have have stated that they really have very little discussion going on with this administration versus the past administration that had um, uh, a lot of, of discussions going on with operators, uh, specifically Continental Resources, Harold Hamm. We remember he was on the stage talking about Donald Trump. And, and I'm not a, a fan of saying I'm a fan of Donald Trump or I'm a fan of Joe Biden. I just know that right now it seems to me that this administration is saying one thing and doing another. And the reason why that's important is because people are paying over four dollars uh, a gallon of gasoline. And they're trying to understand what are the issues and the hiccups that are happening um, in D.C. or is it here locally in Texas and why are these things happening? So when we get back from break, I want to get back on the topic of how much policy making is happening with uh, education coming from the energy industry and how much is not. And then I want to get back on the discussion of federal lands because there's been a lot of discussion about them saying that they were going to open up federal lands again and yet they just announced again they're taking three federal land uh, opportunities of 
of bidding on those lands off the table again. So we do have to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to get on Federal Lands Leasing Act. You're listening to a new Old Patch Radio show, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. You're listening to Into the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm David Blackman with my co-host uh, Kim Bellotto and our special guest, Ann Bradbury, who is the CEO of the American Exploration and Production Council. And, um, I, you, you know, Kim touched on this earlier about uh, the permitting and the holdups on permitting pipelines and, and downstream facilities like LNG export facilities. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand how all those hold, the holdups in, you know, permitting say inter, interstate pipelines that are designed to take natural gas from the Marcellus Shell to Boston Harbor or down into the southeastern parts of the countries, the the depressing impacts that has on your members' ability to get their upstream business done. This is a significant yep. issue right now, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. This is a huge issue for our members, um, uh, especially those that, you know, need interstate pipelines to to move their product. And so particularly in the Northeast, um, you know, pipelines out of Appalachia are operating essentially at capacity. Um, And really, we need more energy infrastructure to support lower energy prices, both here at home, but also to facilitate getting more energy to our allies overseas. The Marcellus, the Utica basins are some of the most prolific natural gas basins in the entire world. And yet the Northeast um, is overwhelmingly dependent on heating oil because they can't get the natural gas from Pennsylvania up to Maine and Massachusetts. And so they are either relying on heating oil or they are importing LNG at international prices into Boston Harbor. So, you know, as recently as a few years ago from Russia even, um, despite the fact that they are just a few hundred miles from one of the most prolific and environmentally friendly natural gas fields in the world. Um, And it is simply because they cannot get sufficient pipeline capacity built. I mean, you know, they, you know, I hear those, you know, those operators say, you know, quite frequently, we're not resource constrained, we're infrastructure constrained. And so if, you know, we can get more pipelines built, we can get uh, more natural gas up to the Northeast, which will have both economic as well as climate benefits. And we'll be able to get more of our natural gas to export facilities to help uh, our allies abroad uh, wean themselves off of off of Russian gas, and as well to help developing countries as they transition from coal or you know dirtier burning fuels to cleaner burning natural gas. So it's a huge part of any you know climate agenda as well. Um, so we have the resources 
um, but unfortunately, we don't have the infrastructure right now to move it to where it's needed needed most. Yeah, I, I, that's such a key point that everyone needs to understand. We have so much natural gas in this country. The potential uh, for our ability to say help Europe get itself off of imports from Russia is is massive. If we can just get that gas to market, first of all, and then to LNG export facilities, you know, that are going to have to be built to, to facilitate this export. Uh, and so, you know, the production uh, ANS members, you know, they're, they're ready and willing to go. Uh, but, but with these constraints, it, it just makes it almost impossible to fulfill these commitments the president has made. I want to hear about supply chain issues, but I also am saying the same thing with the pipeline issues of being able, like Ann had said earlier, that they simply cannot seem to get natural gas right. from one area to another. But supply chain issues are definitely a big problem. Go ahead, David. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, no, no, no. I, and you want to talk about, I, you know, I, I wonder if your members have, are experiencing the same kind of supply chain issues that some of our recent guests have talked about here. Oh, most definitely, you know, supply chain issues, labor shortages, um, you know, our, our companies are really feeling it across the board. Um, you know, I think projections show inflationary pressures could lead to a 20% additional capital spend just to keep uh, oil and gas production at current levels. Um, and I've heard that number could could go up even higher even. Um, so, uh, you know, these, these inflationary pressures um, as well as labor shortages um, are really uh, a really significant headwind that our industry is facing in terms of ramping up production. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, especially as, as demand is continuing to go up um, and the world is looking to sort of wean itself off of both gas and oil from Russia, you know, American-made oil and gas is even more needed. And so um, these inflationary pressures, labor shortages uh, are, are a very real headwind that our companies are facing. So, and my question also is the exporting. So we have close relationships with the ports in Houston and more so in Corpus Christi. Strategically, they're taking a lot of oil and natural gas um, to the Corpus Christi port of, or port of Corpus Christi. How many uh, members of yours are discussing, especially down in DC, uh, I know you all support US energy exports, but tell us a little bit about a XPC and what are you doing to educate the members of Congress about the importance of US energy exports, especially considering that our president has promised Europe for us to increase uh, exporting LNG, liquefied natural gas to that uh, over there. How important is it to your members and how have you been helping Congress kind of understand the policies that are coming out? How are you educating the members of Congress about how important exporting is? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, first, uh, you know, going back a little bit, AX, you know, it wasn't that long ago that the United States had a ban on exporting crude oil. Um, and AXPC members really led the charge in lifting the crude export ban. And that was lifted on a bipartisan basis uh, in 2016. And that was signed by President Obama. Um, and because of that, um, that has really helped facilitate additional US production. Um, it has helped get more uh, oil on the global market. And it has facilitated keeping uh, gas prices is low here in the US by simply putting more global supply in the global marketplace. Um, so it's been a huge, huge economic benefit and a huge geopolitical benefit 
for this country. Um, I will say, uh, you know, you know, every once in a while, you know, a, a lot of the environmental groups realize that, you know, if you could reinstate the crude oil export ban, um, it would be uh, an important policy to keep oil in the ground, so to speak. And so every once in a while you hear um, environmental groups calling for a national climate emergency in order to uh, stop crude oil exports. Hmm. Um, and, you know, you all can imagine what, what that would look like impact of that would be <laughs> on our yeah. industry, on our economy, um, you know, uh, uh, especially there in Texas. And so, um, and, you know, and then there is a, a sort of a counterintuitive um, uh, point that, you know, exporting crude oil actually keeps gasoline prices low. And so we want to make sure that policymakers understand that, because if you don't understand how the global marketplace works and WTI and Brent and, you know, the different refining grades, you know, you might think that if, okay, if we keep more oil here, it'll keep gasoline prices low, but the opposite is actually true. So we want people to make sure that that fact is well understood um, and that people aren't making uninformed decisions, especially on issues of this significance. I agree. And, and with that we do have to close the show but i i want to say how important your group is because educating uh, policymakers to how important it is is really important because they're the ones who set policies and they also kind of in a roundabout way set how expensive uh, it is going to be for uh, to pay at the pump and our groceries and that is all the time we have for the show we look forward to having you back on in the old patch radio to, dis to discuss a little bit more about what's happening in dc but that's all the time we have thank you for being a guest on in the old patch radio show thanks kim thanks david great thank chatting you. with you in the oil patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil gas business and in your community Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.